Good morning, Bay Hills. How are you guys doing today? All right. My name's Terrence. I'm one of the pastors here, and I, I want to talk to you about this, this thing about anxiety and worry. We're starting a, uh, a two-week series today called Anxious for Nothing. Is, is it just me? No. <laughs> All right. Have a good Sunday. That's it. It's good preaching at that point. Uh, <laughs> is it just me, or is it that worry at some point becomes part of our DNA? Like, it just gets ingrained in who we are. So think about it when you're a kid. When you're a kid, you're worried about grades. You're worried about fitting in with your friends. Then you become a teenager, and you're, you're worrying about bigger things like girlfriends and boyfriends. And, you know, you remember puberty? Puberty was weird. And you're worried about your changing body and all this stuff going on. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, well, let me now start thinking about what I want to do and where I want to go to college. And then what I might want to do for a career. And then you start thinking, okay, well, I've been dating this person for a while, and, you know, maybe we should get married. So then you get married, and you start worrying about finances. And then you start saying, okay, well, maybe, maybe we should live closer to, to her parents or closer to his parents, or maybe we should just move as far away from both sets of parents as possible, right? You start worrying about stuff like that, and then you have kids, and the real worrying starts. Wow, I really hope my kid doesn't go crazy. I really hope my kid's safe when they go to school in the morning. I really hope my kid has a heart that strives for God. And you know what the weird thing is that it's not even just what season of life you're in, but sometimes where you are in life, what your, what your surroundings are, it makes you worry about different things. Here, you're at work and you hear rumors of layoffs. You start wondering, I wonder if I'm going to be one of the people let go. Oh my goodness, China, the coronavirus. Oh my goodness gracious, people are literally dropping dead over there. And up until this morning, I was like, this is really terrible for them. And now I'm worried. There's been three people in the United States so far who've been diagnosed with the coronavirus. One of which is in Anaheim, near Disneyland, where I love to go. So now I'm like, when we go, do we have to wear masks? Or what do we do? How do we protect ourselves? All of these crazy, over-the-top things, mass shootings, where sometimes you're not even, you don't even feel safe walking out of your house. Any 49er fans in here? Yeah. You a little anxious about next week? Yeah. You should be. You should be. Patrick Mahomes is a beast. You should be. But all of these worries and these anxieties start to creep in and become part of our DNA. And I'll tell you someone who is really, really worried and really anxious right now. And his name is Terrence Green. Please look at your handout. Please look at your bulletin. Do you see the name on there? If you haven't noticed, I'm not Carl. Here's what happened. Friday, my wife and I are with our, our daughter, uh, Frankie. We're at Costco. And Costco is the worst, just the worst place in the world. I don't understand for the life of me how everyone, everyone understands that when you drive a car, you drive on the right side of the road. But when you're at Costco, just go right down the middle and just stop. <laughs> I don't understand that. Anyway, anyway, God, forgive me for my anger. All right, so anyway, so we're at Costco. And we have a large family. We live in an area where it's not only my wife and I and our three kids in the house, but we have other family members on the block, and people are constantly stopping over. So when we go to Costco, we have, she had a full cart of stuff, and I had a full flatbed of stuff. 
we're at the checkout, and I get a phone call, and I look at it, and it's El Sobrani Christian School. That's where my kids go to school. I'm like, okay. And I answer, I'm like, hey, Mr. Green, this is so-and-so from the office. Uh, your son, Tommy, my middle, my six-year-old, uh, he's really, really sick. He's in the office. Can you come pick him up? I'm like, okay, you know, I'll be there in like 30 minutes. You know, just try to keep him, uh, you know, nice and happy until I get there. And I get there 30 minutes later, and this kid is passed out on a chair and drooling, and it's hot. And I'm like, oh, poor guy. And so I pick him up, and I put him in the car. And I'm thinking, you know what? Obviously, I have to work Sunday. I have to be at church Sunday. But I don't have anything else to do this weekend. I have nothing else to do this weekend. What we're going to do, we're going to take it easy. We're just going to hang out on the couch and watch movies all weekend long, and then he'll feel better. About 4 o'clock on Friday, I look at my phone, and I have a text message from Carl. Hey, man, I'm not feeling good. I need you to preach on, on Sunday morning. Okay, I'll do it. But, but I need to figure out what you're, you're preaching on. So, you know, I, I talked to uh, Brigitte, our office manager. I said, can you send me um, his slides and his handout and whatever? And Carl, you send me, send me your, your notes. Give me a starting point. And he is a doctor in his spare time because it was chicken scratch. Like, I could not read anything that he wrote. And I was like, okay, well, when Brigitte sends me his handout, He's a, good, he's a good preacher. He knows how it works. You have three bullet points. They all start with the same letter, and he gives me an idea of what he's preaching on. What am I going to do with this? Verses in a box. I hope you're watching, Carl. <laughs> for, the next, for the next 36 hours, right up until first service, I'm writing a sermon. I'm writing a sermon all day yesterday, Friday, getting slides together. I'm scribbling my last notes on, and I come up here, and I'm, freak, I'm literally shaking. I'm freaking out. And I realize at that point that your preacher today is anxious about preaching about anxiety. <laughs> no more. No more. I have confidence in God's word. I, I believe but God says that when you send out his word, it will never return void. And so I'm going to trust that God and the Holy Spirit are going to do what I can't do today. So let's pray and let's jump into the sermon. God, I thank you so much, so much for curveballs. <laughs> thank you so much for things that make us rely on you and you alone. So God, I pray that you use my words today, Lord, but I pray that you also remove me from the situation. That this not be the Terrence show that I... I <laughs> God, all I want to do today is make you famous. That's all I want to do. I just want to proclaim your word in a way that is understandable and relatable to everyone in this room, including me on the stage. So God, continue to minister to me. Continue to preach to me through me. Show me that I need this, this sermon as much as anyone else in this room. In your son's name, amen. We're going to be, we're going to be looking at something over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians, and we're going to be looking at these passages and pulling this information out and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate parts of our life where we've let worry and anxiety creep in and take hold. But I have to acknowledge something first. I have to do this, okay? Anxiety sometimes is a real psychological, physiological, chemical issue. This is something 
that it's not a matter of just trying to pray it away, but you need to pray and you need Kaiser. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, no, I, I, I want you to understand this because I've been in a lot of churches before where they, they preach this gospel of just pray, 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 and everything should be taken care of. And the problem is that if you continue to pray and pray and pray and the issue isn't taken care of, you begin to think that either God doesn't care or you, your faith isn't strong enough. I want you to understand today, I am not trying to say that you can pray everything away. The Apostle Paul has a story where he talks about a thorn in the side. He doesn't even give us details of what it is. But he had a thorn in the side and he prayed again and again and again for God to take it away. And all we heard back from God every single time is, my grace is sufficient. There are going to be things where you have to walk this path in life and you would want nothing else for, than for God to take it away. And he's going to say, no, I'm going to walk with you. I'm, you're going to get my presence. Instead of the healing, you're going to get my presence. I'm telling you, if you are having an issue where you have anxiety coming over you, and it is, it, I, I really ask you to not just look at it, not just look at it as a spiritual thing, but also look at it as something that maybe you need, maybe you need a counselor or you need medication or you need something to come alongside you and help. But unfortunately, I don't have the credentials to talk about it that way. I don't. I will acknowledge the truth of that, but I don't have the credentials to talk about it in that way. What I have the credentials to talk about is the spiritual aspect of it. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that some of us are living in anxiety because we choose to live in anxiety. Some of us sometimes are worried about the fact that there's nothing to even worry about. And what I pray that God's Holy Spirit does today is that he begins to show you the areas where you have let worry and anxiety creep in and take over. But I pray even more that today is a day of deliverance. That people walk out of this room with more trust and more faith and a loving God than they did when they walked in here. That is the purpose of today. So if you're following along, you're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible... I said a pew last service. I don't know where I was. Uh, in the chair in front of you is uh, page 953. But I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. The Apostle Paul is writing this. He's writing this to the Philippians. The Apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament, and he's basically one of the fathers of the modern church. And he was also extremely strategic with how he wanted the gospel to spread. He wanted to preach in Rome. His goal in life was to preach in Rome. Because he knew that if he went to Rome, because of the commerce coming out of that area, because of the people of influence in there, he knew if he could preach to Rome and he could reach the people of Rome, the gospel would spread in a powerful way. And so when we, see, when we enter this, we're entering a scene where he is in Rome. But he's not in Rome as a special guest speaker. He's not in Rome as a welcomed guest. He's in Rome as a prisoner. You see, Paul's in Rome under house arrest 24 hours a day. Every eight hours, a new guard came in and would be shackled to his leg for eight hours. Eight hours later, a new guard would come in and would be shackled to him. Eight hours after that, a new guard would come in and be shackled to him. And this was happening as he was on house arrest awaiting his trial to see if he'd be executed. Month after month after month, he is living in this anxious, this anxious place. 
what is going to happen to me? I'm trying to declare the gospel, and I find myself in this place where I literally am facing my death. In the middle of this context, this is what he writes. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And in case you missed it the first time, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And this area of uncertainty, awaiting to die, he says, always be full of joy. Now this is perfect for a refrigerator magnet or a coffee mug. You know what I hate here in this verse? is when I'm going through real stuff. Always be full of joy. You don't understand. My spouse left us. He was deceiving us for years and years and years without us knowing. And one, di- one day he decided that he didn't want me or the kids. He's gone. Always be full of joy. I just buried my loved one. I just buried someone that I loved and I cared about and I prayed for. And they're gone, and you're telling me in the middle of that situation to always be joyful in the Lord. You don't understand, but my kids are making stupid decisions. And they're not only decisions that's breaking my heart, but it's breaking the very heart of God. And you are telling me that in the middle of that situation, I need to always be joyful? In a room this size, I know this is going to Echo with someone. There are times when the anxiety is real and it's palpable. And you find it difficult to get out of bed. And in the middle of that situation, Paul is still saying to you, always be full of joy. Now, I I don't get it. I don't get how he has this this view on life in the middle of the situation that he's in. But he goes on to say this. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How in the world could a prisoner have this viewpoint on life? And the answer is it's all about perspective. I have noticed more and more in my life that my worry is all about my perspective on life. The things I choose to worry about is all about my perspective on life. Now, perspective is a word that just means how you see something. So you can have four people from four different walks of life, all in the same room, all experience the same thing at the same time, and have four different perspectives. But the thing I like about it, too, is it also has this connotation of being able to see through things. Do you guys remember those magic eye posters from like 10, 20, 30 years? Let's put the picture up there. I hated these things. I could never see it, and people were going off about, oh, I see this, and I see that, and I'm like, what? And they're like, no, Terrence, you need to close one eye and stand on one leg and hop up and down, and then you'll be able to see it, right? I could never see it until one day, 10 years ago. My wife and I are at Pier 39, and we walk into one of the art stores there, 
and they have these posters. And I walk by one of these posters, and I go, hmm. Now let me remember what they said. They said, crouch like I'm going to get a grounder. <laughs> close one eye and look. And for a split second, I saw the 3D unicorn. I saw it, and it was vibrant, and it popped out because I was doing what they said. I was looking through it. Now let me ask you, does anyone see this, the hidden picture in this? Thank you for not lying, because this is fake. It's a trick. <laughs> See? You guys are good Sunday Christians. I like that. <laughs> Paul had every right, every right to be upset. He had every right to look at what was going on in his life at face value and say, God, what in the world are you doing? I'm a prisoner. I am stuck in a prison, not because I've done anything wrong, but because I've done everything right. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to spread your good news. And yet I find myself in this prison right now. I'm done. You've not shown up to help me. You have not rescued me from this. I'm done. No more small group. No more church. I'm done. But he looks through. He looks through the situation. And he sees something differently. You know, he says that all of this, everything that has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. This is how he can have this perspective. Now, for 24 hours a day, he has three different guards chained to him. Guard one comes in, chained to him. Paul thinks, you know what? I've always wanted to preach in Rome. Why don't I start with him? The Roman guards at the time were some of the most influential people in the known world. And so he has, a, he has a guard chained to him. Eight hours, I'm preaching to you. You can't go anywhere. Eight hours, I'm preaching to you. Time for next shift. Take this guy off. Give me my next one. Preaching to you. Next shift. Preaching to you. And he did it over and over and over again. And this is what we know. We know that through what he was doing with those prison guards, they began to get, get saved. They began to embrace Christ, and the news of the gospel spread throughout the known world because he was faithful in prison. Now, could he have done good things if he stood up on a platform somewhere and preached to a couple hundred people? Yeah, but thousands were getting saved because of the fact that he was faithful in prison. I, I gotta let you know this. For some of us, we are in a prison right now. Your prison has a purpose. You are where you are in life right now for a reason. You have people who are coming alongside you who need to see your joy and your love and your faith in action right now before the miracle happens. There is a purpose to where you are right now. But it's all about your perspective. You see, they thought Paul was their prisoner. Mm-mm. Those guards are his prisoners. And I'm going to set this world on fire because I'm going to be faithful where I am right now. Let's move on to conviction, way too convicting, all right? Number one, this is why we praise God. We praise God because of God's faithfulness. We praise God because of God's faithfulness. I've realized that in life, what you have experienced in life kind of shapes how you respond in the middle of situations and what you see. It may be difficult for you guys to know this about me now. I used to be extremely athletic, okay? Please don't laugh at that. I used to be extremely athletic. I know I'm kind of, I'm a, 
I'm short. I'm a teapot. I'm short and stout right now, right? But back in the day, I was a really, really good basketball player, and I was a good baseball player, and I, I played at so all different levels, and when I was in, like, sixth grade and seventh grade, I was playing in tournaments against, you know, seniors and, and, high, and um, college freshmen and stuff like that, and then I, I kept playing, and then I started coaching, and I've seen the game from so many different angles that I begin to perceive things before it happens in the game. And I'll give you an example. My wife and I uh, will we'll watch a basketball game. We'll watch a Lakers game. Go Lakers. And so we'll watch it, and we'll see LeBron go down the lane, and he goes up, and he gets a layup. And the next one, he goes down the lane and drives the other way and gets a layup. And I look to Becca, and I'm like, hey, I think that next time they're probably going to double him at the top of the key, so I hope they're setting off-ball screens for Danny Green so he can get a three. My wife's like, what? Like, just watch. And inevitably, that's what happens. Because I've, and she's like, how in the world do you know that? I'm like, I've seen it. I've experienced that. I've coached kids through that. I've seen that. On the other hand, my wife and I used to watch this show called House. Do you guys remember House? Oh, this show started every episode with some super healthy person doing a normal thing. They're at a kid's birthday party. And then all of a sudden, they zoom into the body, and the person's heart explodes. And then you have to figure out what happened. And inevitably, it's some disease that no one's heard of from like 1837 that killed this person. And every single episode, my wife got it right within the first five minutes. I'm like, how in the world are you guessing what's going on? She's like, because I'm a nurse. I work in the ER. I have to be able to think on my feet. I have to be able to respond in these kind of situations. So if you take me and put me into her reality where I'm walking into an emergency room and this person is bleeding profusely, I'm hitting the ground. I'm fainting. She's going in and she's saving because she's experienced before. She has seen the outcome of it, so she knows how to respond in the middle of the situation. Catch this. Paul has been in this situation before. Backstory on Paul. Paul used to be Saul. He was a Pharisee and he was persecuting Christians. And in Acts, we're told during the first martyr, during Stephen, he was the first martyr. Saul was actually holding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen. Stoning is throwing rocks at people, okay? We're in the Bay Area. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, right? <laughs> throwing rocks at people. That's what I mean by that, okay? Later on, he's on the road to Damascus, and he comes face-to-face -face with Jesus and gets blinded and eventually converts and becomes a pastor. And you're thinking, this is great. Everything's going to be wonderful at this point. But his life was horrible. Catastrophe after catastrophe, calamity after calamity. But every time he's in the situation, He's not thinking about the situation. He's thinking about God's faithfulness in the past. Listen to this. Paul saw God's faithfulness in Acts 9 when he fled for his life from Damascus. He saw God's faithfulness in Acts 14 when he was stoned at Lystra, left for dead in a ditch, and reentered the city. He saw God's faithfulness when he and Silas were imprisoned in Acts 16 for casting out a demon. He saw God's faithfulness later on in Acts 16 when there was an earthquake and the prison doors opened and everyone was set free. He saw God's faithfulness three times when he was given 39 lashes. Now, what this is, is literally taking a whip, a leather whip with balls of leather, with glass and rocks and shards and stuff in there, embedded in there, and literally beating someone 39 times, 40 times would kill you. Three times that happened to him and never died. He saw God's faithfulness in the middle of that. He saw God's faithfulness in Acts 27 when they were shipwrecked on Malta, and again, and again, and again, and again, he saw God's faithfulness. And so when he's in the middle of the situation, he's thinking, why am I going to worry? Why am I going to freak out? I know who God is. I've been here before. For me to live 
is Christ. And if I die, that's even better. I'm in heaven. Why am I freaking out? God is faithful. Even today, God is faithful. Sometimes before you don't even see it. Sometimes you don't see it until later down the line. God is faithful even today. Roger Sims, he was hitchhiking his way home. And he would never forget the date, May 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired. He was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. Flashing the hitchhiking sign to an oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek new Cadillac. To his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened, and he ran toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back, and thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. Going home for keeps? Sure am, Roger responded. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? Well, I have a business there. My name's Hanover. After talking about many things, Roger, a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish, apparently successful businessman about Christ. But he kept putting it off until he realized he was 30 minutes from home. It was now or never. So Roger cleared his throat and said, Mr. Hanover, I would like to talk to you about something very important. He then proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he would like to receive Christ as his Savior. To Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road. Roger thought he was going to be ejected from the car, but the businessman bowed his head and received Christ, and then thanked Roger, saying, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Five years went by. Roger married, had a two-year-old boy, and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a trip to Chicago, he found the small, white business card Hanover had given him five years before. In Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises. A receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. A little confused as to what was going on, he was ushered into a lovely office and found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand. You knew my husband? Roger told how her husband had given him a ride while he was hitchhiking home after the war. Can you tell me when that was? It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Is there anything special about that day? Roger hesitated. Should he mention giving his witness? Since he had come so far, he might as well take the plunge. Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel. Your husband pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. Explosive sobs shook her body. Getting a grip on herself, she sobbed. I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. And said Roger, where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover? He's dead, she wept. He was in a car crash shortly after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise until right now, but now I see that God is always faithful. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Our God is faithful. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't experience it until later, our God is faithful. I got to ask you, how's God been faithful in your life? I understand. I understand where you are. I understand what's going on. I understand the worry you have. I understand the anxiety you have. But how has God been faithful? You know, the, the word worry is taken from a German word, virgin, which literally means to strangle. And when we have worry and anxiety come into our lives, it is strangling the joy. It is completely changing our perspective 
on life where we can't even see the little things that we have. God, thank you for being faithful and making my car start up this morning. Thank you for being faithful to the fact that when I get home, I'm going to have food in the fridge. Thank you for, God, thank you for all this oxygen. This is really nice to breathe, this stuff. But I'm being honest. Honestly, sometimes we have to have a spirit of, of thankfulness and seeing how God is faithful in the small things so we can see how he's been faithful in the big things. I'm going to ask you again, where has God been faithful in your life? How has God shown up over and over and over and over again in your life? Because when you hit these situations where you feel like everything is just crumbling down, when worry is keeping you up and stressing you out, you have to be able to focus on where God has been faithful in the past. Here's the last thing. I praise because God carries our burdens. I praise because God carries our burdens. See, we don't have to worry about what will happen when we know who is in charge. We don't have to worry about the what when we know the who. Sounds like Dr. Seuss, but you know what I mean. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen about the stuff of life when you know who ultimately is in charge. It says, don't worry about anything, nothing. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. When you do that, then you will experience God's peace. Some of you are wondering why you have no peace right now. You haven't even prayed. You haven't handed it over to God. The problem is we're good at handing stuff over to God. The problem is five minutes later, we're taking it right back. There's a Facebook friend of mine I, I love. She goes to church here. I love this. It was a, uh, a picture of a pillow on a bed. It said, give it to God and go to bed. Some of us, that's all you need to hear is stop worrying. That's all you need to hear today. Stop worrying about everything. Stop being a big ball of anxiety and stop worrying. But I want you to understand that when I say stop worrying, I'm not saying stop doing anything. If you're saying, okay, well, I want a job. I'm not going to worry about getting a job. God will just bring me a job. Well, you're, a, you're an idiot because it's not going to work that way. <laughs> Here's a better way of saying it. You do what you can do and you trust God to do what you can't do. So many of us are worried about all the stuff that only God can do. And we're taking on this anxiety and we're, we're, we're trying our hardest to make things work when God is saying, this is so far above your pay grade. You can't touch this. You can't do this. You can do something, but trust me to do what you can't do. Can you save your kids from anything that happens in life? No, you cannot. Now, you can give them healthy boundaries and help them go in the right direction. You can try to, try to speak truth to them, but ultimately you cannot protect them from everything that happens in life. So why are you worrying about protecting them about everything that happens in life? God can do that, and you give that to God. Can you, can you heal your loved one who's sick right now? No. You can pray. You can help get them to doctor's appointments, make sure they're taking their medication. You can do that. But ultimately, you cannot heal them. But God can. And so you don't worry about that. You don't take on that stress. You take that and you give it to God. Can you change your spouse? Now, some of you wish you could, but you can't change your spouse. Now, what can you do? You can speak truth into their life. You can come alongside them and help them. But hear this. God can change anyone. God can change the heart and change the mind of anyone. And so you pray and you give that to God. 
You stop worrying about stuff that you can't do. And I'm telling you, there is so much freedom. I have found so much freedom in life in the fact that I can't do everything. That I cannot complete everything. I can't, I, I can't fix everything. I have found so much freedom in that. And so what I do is I do my part. I do my part and I give God the ability, the space. I give, I give him the trust to do what I can't do. There's so much freedom in that. I heard it said that worry, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it'll never get you anywhere. A lot of us are worrying ourselves to death. And God is saying right now, it's time for you to stop. It's time for you to have a completely different perspective of who you are, who I am, what this life is all about. It's time for you to stop. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Channel 2 had a commercial years ago. It was a news commercial. And I liked it, but it freaked me out the first time I saw it. It was a very tight shot of just a driver's door with a lady sitting in, sitting in the car. And all of a sudden, from off camera, this guy rushes up, opens the driver's door, grabs a lady, and runs off screen. And you're like, oh, she just got assaulted. What is going on here? But immediately after that scene... They would show the same scene again that they back out and make the bigger picture. And what you would see is the same lady in the same car, the same guy grabbing her, but since the picture was so much bigger, you would see that her car was on fire and the guy was a fireman. And what looked like assault was actually salvation. I'm not sure where you are today. I'm not sure what thing or things in your life are keeping you anxious and keeping you worried. But what you might be looking at is God abandoning you or you having to take care of everything or you worrying about everything. God is saying, I, I'm, I'm trying to grow you. And I'm trying to stretch you. And so I don't want you to just trust on the provision. I don't want you to just trust on... What's going to happen further down the line? I want you to trust that I'm still the same God in the middle of it. I want you to change your perspective on what is going on. See, I, I wrote this down, and when I wrote this down, I've, I've preached up here 70 plus times, if not more. When I wrote this next thing down, it, it broke me. Because I realized how true it is for not only you, but for me. Is this, even while you're in the middle of this season, the key that unlocks your miracle is the sound of your praise. Even while you're in the middle of the season that you're in, the key that unlocks your miracle is the sound of your praise. I want to read a story to you real quick from Acts chapter 16. This is Paul and Silas, again, in prison. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. In the middle of prison, praise set them free. 
in the middle of prison, praise set them free. In the middle of prison, in the middle of prison, praise set them free. You see, when we look at our lives, the things that we're worrying about the most are the things that we trust God with the least. And when we begin to refocus our mind, refocus our sight on God and give him our praise in the middle of, our chains start falling off. You see, for a lot of us, God has been extremely faithful. I know he'll do it again. But right now, we're not focused on the do it again. We're not focused on what God will do. We're focused on what's happening right now. But I want to ask you, even in the middle of what's happening, even in the middle of what's keeping you anxious and keeping you up at night, praise God anyway. You see, we don't praise God because life is good. We praise God because God is good. You know, before our first service, I hadn't said this to Pablo or anyone else on the band. I hate closing out the service when I preach. I hate it. I hate when it's, you know, you finish the sermon, okay, have a good day. Because I feel as though every sermon always has something that reminds us to worship God. Every sermon has something that reminds us of the goodness and the faithfulness and the loveliness of God. And we need to direct our sight back to him and thank him, even in the middle, that he will do it again. He will save us again. He will be the same God he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow forever. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and we're going to worship. God, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for curveballs. Thank you for the fact that you are a good, faithful, loving God. God, thank you so much that we never, no longer have to carry our own burdens, Lord. Thank you so much that in the middle of, in the middle of, you can remind us again of the faithfulness that you have had, not just to us, Lord. We look at stories, oh, oh God, we look at stories of Daniel in the lion's den with the mouths of the lions literally being shut. God, we, we look at Joseph being sold into slavery and the faithfulness you had to him even in prison and bringing him to the second place of honor in Egypt. We look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were literally thrown into the fire and came out without a burn mark on them. God, your Bible, your story, your word to us is a story of your faithfulness over and over and over again, God. So I pray that today we not be people who hold on to the worry. We, hold on to, we don't hold on to the anxiety, but in faith we praise you, knowing that either in this life or the next you will make everything right, Lord. You will do it again. We love you. We praise you. In your son's name, amen.